Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. You're a doc. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. You're saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreation. It's no wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? Good morning. You are listening to the Cannabis Hour, a bi-weekly radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. I'm your host, Jen Procacci. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining me today. So today my guest will be the esteemed Michael Katz. He is part of the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, and he is here to give us an update on what's going on in the local and state world of cannabis policy. Before we get started with that, I just want to make an announcement about an upcoming series of events um, put on by the local organization, the Mendocino Producers Guild. It's a series of four farmers markets taking place over the summer. They are markets featuring cannabis and artisanal products. It's going to be all local producers with over 60 booths displaying the best of Mendocino County's cannabis farms and craft artisans. There will be free admission, it's family-friendly, fair pricing, there will be a consumption lounge, and there will also be no drugs or alcohol. So the dates for those events are April 23rd, uh, May 28th, June 25th, and July 30th, and that's going to be up in Laytonville. It's located at 44550 Willis Ave, and they'll be from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So again, the dates for that are April 23rd, May 28th, June 25th, and July 30th at 44550 Willis Ave in Laytonville from 10 to 4. And if you want more information, you can visit the website, which is www.MendocinoProducersGuild.org. So that's Guild, G-U-I-L-D, MendocinoProducersGuild.org. It's going to be really fun and positive um, series of events. We had one farmer's market of this nature last summer, and it was absolutely wonderful. So it's back better than ever, and I really hope to see you there. All right, moving on. We have Michael here with us. He has been kind enough to join us this morning to give us both a policy update on a state and local level, as well as filling us in on the latest activities of the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance. Michael, are you here with us? Yes. Good morning, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. Good morning. Thank you so much for making the time to join us this morning. So let's get started with what is going on on a local level with policy for our regulated farmers and their friends. Oh boy, where do we begin? Lots going on right now. It's never a dull moment, Mendocino cannabis policy. Um, Recently, uh, on March 2nd, the Board of Supervisors held a special meeting to discuss exclusively cannabis issues 
you know, we have as a community for a long time been calling for a standing committee to deal with the various issues that are coming up left and right with regards to our licensed cannabis program. And uh, so far, the board has not been willing to pursue that avenue. Supervisor Hafschek has remained willing to, to do that. Um, and at least now we have uh, two cannabis ad hocs that are operational, one being Supervisor Hafschek uh, and Supervisor McGordy, who are kind of working on a limited scope <clears throat> of issues, specifically the portal process and the, uh, an appeals process for the folks who are applicants who are being considered for denial. So those things are being worked on by the by the, that ad hoc. And then there's another ad hoc that was formed that I don't believe has met yet, uh, which is Supervisor Jurdy and Supervisor Mulherin. And they will be discussing the new phase three uh, and what types of alterations uh, they think should be implemented before that is fully rolled out, which is interesting because uh, just so happens that because the moratorium on phase three lifted uh, due to the previous reason that it was being held, which was that uh, there was the development of the new phase three. So since that has been completely taken off the table and repealed, now the old phase three is set to begin taking operation. And there are actually uh, applications on the county website. So phase three is officially receiving applications, but there's really no indication as to when those applications will be processed or reviewed. And there's this ad hoc talking about potential changes to phase three. So it's a little confusing how that's all going to roll out. Um, and, you know, in a standing committee, we certainly feel like we'd be able to address these things uh, sequentially and in order and in an organized way with stakeholders in public meetings and then have the results of that go to the Board of Supervisors. Uh, so right now it's not as uh, ideal a process as we would like, but we're actively working with both ad hocs and the supervisors to try to uh, enhance the, the local regulatory situation. And so uh, with that, those uh, two meetings are uh, they're happening regularly uh, with the supervisors. So there's two ad hocs right now, uh, one of Supervisor Hashtag and McGordy dealing with primarily the portal and the appeals process, and another one of Supervisor Jurdy and Mulhern dealing with the new uh, revisions or uh, updated suggestions that they have for how phase three should actually roll out. So despite those two things going on, those two ad hocs, there's still a lot of issues that are not covered under them. And so, you know, we would certainly like a standing committee. While that doesn't exist yet, this special meeting on March 2nd was designed to address several outstanding cannabis issues. Uh, and the items that were discussed were the contiguous expansion affidavit, the local jurisdiction assistance grant program, uh, changing the name from the Mendocino Cannabis Program to the Mendocino Cannabis Department, uh, license following, and appeals, an appeals process. And so these are all, you know, most of these are important issues that are really on the minds of a lot of our operators. And so, you know, there were some wins and some, you know, questionable outcomes, but I thought I could go through the different items and, you know, kind of provide a recap on, on what was discussed.
And so when it comes to the contiguous expansion affidavit, as folks may remember, uh, about a year ago, there was a big conversation about who in the permitting process would need to go through a full site-specific review to get their annual county permit. Obviously, we understand that there are full site-specific reviews required to get your annual state license, but to this point, it had been determined about a year ago that if anyone had done any expansion beyond, uh, not beyond 200 feet from their original cultivation site, as long as they stayed within that 200 feet, that they would not have to uh, go through that review in the local annual permit process, but potentially that would just be happening through the Appendix G. But now uh, with the revision that happened, it appeared that there was some pushback from CDFW uh, to the county on us following this procedure to give the county annuals. And so the county determined that rather than, you know, have any kind of conflict with CDFW, uh, their intention and the what they actually passed was to require potentially this site-specific review, regardless of the signing of a contiguous expansion affidavit. So there are still many folks who, while they may not have expanded beyond 200 feet from their original canopy, will now still need to go through the sensitive species habitat review during their permit process at the county level in advance of the Appendix G process. So that's a change. Uh, and it was originally put in place to streamline the process and to remove these bottlenecks from getting folks through to their annual permit. So it's pretty disappointing that after a year, after we've been understanding this process to be in place to help streamline that it's now being removed and that we are going to kind of lose that efficiency that we were hoping to see. Uh, and so that's, you know, just one more drop in the bucket of challenges facing our current local cohort. Um, Additionally, we talked about the local jurisdiction assistance grant program on the March 2nd special meeting, and there was a recommendation or resolution brought forth to provide the cannabis department uh, director with the authority to adjust and revise the direct grant program uh, as she see fits, as she sees fit, and um, with the approval of county council just to in, in any way that she sees that the program uh, should be revised. Now, this similar uh, resolution came forward for the equity grant program, uh, where there were roadblocks that the county had been trying to remove. And when the director was given additional authority to revise that program, unfortunately, so far, that has not led to the streamlining that uh, was requested by the board and directed and, uh, you know, encouraged by the ad hoc. So there's still a lot of work to be doing there. And there was a lot of concern about the way that the grant program uh, was applied for and actually is going to be rolled out. You know, the county received 17.5 million of a possible 18 million from the state to address the transition from provisionals to annuals. Uh, and while we are certainly grateful that 10 million of that is being earmarked for direct grants to applicants. There is some concern at the way the other seven and a half million is being spent uh, by the department. You know, some of the items that were included in the grant application are explicitly prohibited 
such as enforcement. So there's an over $1 million line item for satellite imagery coming in with this grant that's to support people transitioning from their provisionals to their annuals. And in the grant, it says that that will also, that satellite imagery will also be used to uh, support uh, complaints about program operators. And so that's, you know, that's a concern because we know that the county already has satellite imagery that's been approved and budgeted. And so we're, we want to see the funds that are earmarked for this transition uh, to go to that as much as possible and to not be used for enforcement and not be used to try to keep people out of the program, uh, which we uh, which we feel some of these items may be related to. So it's a little disappointing that uh, the the grant is still uh, the way that it is. There isn't an indication that the board uh, was desiring to change any of those allocations. Um, you know, but we'll certainly still be continuing to, to have those conversations and try to just make sure that all of the funds are being spent in the most efficient way to support the transition from provisionals to annuals. Uh, in addition, we spoke about uh, at the March 2nd meeting, um, there's following, which has been discussed as a program that would be beneficial to folks who need to take some time off from the cultivation side of things. You know, that's a very struggling market right now. There are uh, challenges with licensing and going through CEQA. And so, you know, we do have in our local program uh, some options for stepping out of the taxation and production cycle, but they're really very limiting and they actually contain poison pills so to speak, uh, both of the programs that we have to cease cultivation, one for applicants called the Notice of Application Stay, and one for permit uh, holders called uh, Notice of Non-Operation, where operators stop cultivating. Uh, the issue with both of those programs as they stand now is that the county is required to give the state uh, notice that those operators no longer have local authorization to operate cannabis. And so once someone loses local authorization, they then lose their ability to maintain a state license. So it this these programs would remove people not just from the local cannabis program, but ultimately from the state program. And because of the deadlines on provisionals and the transition uh, to just receiving annual applications after March of this year, uh, for new ones, it really is going to become a major issue for folks uh, if they cannot step out and maintain their state licensure because they might lose access to the entire California license system. So what was discussed was that the program and county council were aware of the need for the tax relief component of what was being proposed for following. And just as a recap, Hannah Nelson, God bless her, uh, did an incredible red line revision suggestion of the current programs that was uh, not adopted yet. Uh, we've been asked for red line proposals numerous times. And uh, unfortunately, when we provide them, they are not often implemented as suggested. In this case, the cannabis program and county council indicated that setting up a separate following program might be challenging from an administrative and logistics level. And we're considering what options would be available if people were just to stop planting and get tax relief. 
And so there are several uh, concerns about that approach, understanding the confusion that's been in the program so far. Uh, we think that anything that's not specifically codified with procedures specifically laid out is unfortunately susceptible to misinterpretation later on and could, uh, you know, unfortunately put people in a, in a poorer outcome type situation. Uh, but we're waiting to see right now um, what the results are of that conversation. We're expecting to have another meeting between uh, the Mendocino Cannabis Department, the Ad Hoc County Council and MCA and Hannah, hopefully sooner than later, to address those questions uh, and the questions that are remaining with the equity program. Uh, and finally, the discussion uh, dealt with the um, appeals process that's being proposed. As folks may or may not know, right now, if you have an annual permit from the county and the county is planning to deny or to not renew or to uh, remove you from the permitting process, they're required to let you know about that. And then with that notice, you then as an as a permit holder have the ability to, in a hearing, provide your own evidence and explain why you think your permit should not be uh, revoked. And there's an opportunity to have that reversed. That does not exist right now for applicants. And especially due to all of the confusion with the portal resubmission process and the confusion with the program in general, it's very clear that the languaging of the program is that they are considering denials and they are prepared to be making denials. And it's very likely that many of those denials will feel they have been wrongly denied and need a uh, a remedy. And so right now, the only option for applicants is to file a suit against the county, uh, which would then, you know, activate the county legal machine and they would have to respond to lawsuits. And so in uh, to avoid that potential outcome, theoretically, the conversation has shifted to creating this appeals process for applicants, and it will be brought back in theory uh, for review by May 3rd. However, despite the agreement that this process was required, the board still gave full authorization to Director Nevidal to continue denying applicants uh, during this time prior to the setting up of that appeals process. So it's very possible that folks who the department has slated for denial, either because of the vegetation modification letters or for any other reason, will still be denied uh, even though this appeals process is in the works. So that's pretty disappointing. Uh, understanding that the county acknowledged the need for the appeals process, but not the will to pause on denials for it to be implemented. Um, you know, I think that that's a little uh, counterintuitive, counterproductive, uh, and, you know, hopefully that will uh, be reconsidered and the, the board will try to, uh, support those operators who are being slated for denial, but who may be slated for denial through no fault of their own because of confusion within the program. So those are just a couple of things that are happening locally. 
And uh, as you can see, there's there's a lot going on, and uh, we certainly encourage everybody to check out the the MCA website at MendoCannabis.com and go to our policy page and you can stay up to date on all this information. And if you're interested in hearing about it real time uh, and being able to engage with the county and express your opinions, we encourage folks to join MCA uh, to get involved in that conversation on a regular basis. Thank you, Michael. There's just so much going on there. And I have many questions for you, if that's all right. Do you mind if I ask some questions? Oh, please. Okay, great. Go right so, ahead. Going way back to the beginning when we when you spoke about phase three, you know, long awaited phase three. What do you hope to see happen in phase three? Well, you know, phase three is ha has its good parts and its bad parts. Uh, certainly, we support the uh, opening of the permitting process to enable people who did not have the ability to enter previously to come in and begin participating in the license market. Um, you know, right now, phase three is much more limited in terms of zoning than phase one. So it's not going to provide as much access for smaller operators in uh, resource lands. Uh, additionally, there are, you know, more limitations right now on uh, parcel size than there were in phase one. So, you know, right now, the largest parcel that's being considered uh, is RR5. Um, and what's unfortunate uh, to that point is that Supervisor Jurdy from the bench indicated that he was interested in uh, actually taking RR5 parcels off of the table completely for phase three. Uh, there was an ad hoc that was created between Supervisor Jurdy and Supervisor Mohern to evaluate the phase three that's supposed to roll out and determine if there are any recommendations on how to change it. Uh, Supervisor Mulhern indicated at that meeting that she did not necessarily support uh, removing RR5s. Uh, and you know, ultimately, MCA believes that providing uh, access to as many small operators as possible in the county to the license program really is the best way forward for the county. More people in compliance leads to better environmental protections. It leads to more neighborhood protections. And there are certainly ways to address any concerns about you know, small businesses in RR uh, neighborhoods that can happen without a prohibition, except you know, a complete ban. I think that we've seen bans don't work and what we wanna do is be integrating this component of our community. And so I'd like to see that integration happen. I'd like to see uh, RR5s stay in phase three. Um, and I'd like there to be uh, procedures rolled out and further clarified on the county website that let folks who are applying for phase three know that it has been the direction of the board that phase one and two operators are to be prioritized in the processing. And so, you know, if someone stumbles upon the county website and sees that phase three applications are being accepted, but not understand the context of all that's going on with phase one and two, that could be a challenging and disappointing situation for them. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see phase three roll out, but I'd like to see it in a bit more of an organized fashion. And, uh, you know, 
making sure that the phase one and two operators who have been in this process for many, many years have the ability to see their applications through, uh, you know, as a priority. Absolutely. I hear everything that you have said there, and I definitely agree with those concerns and those hopes. So moving on to my next question here, um, what is the current status of the portal? So the portal was uh, supposed to originally open, I believe, on March 1st or March 15th. There have been a couple of different dates, but as it stands now, uh, portal notifications were sent out on February 28th uh, to the folks who are eligible to go back through. Uh, and the portal will open on March 28th, uh, and it will be open for 30 days. And our understanding is that in that 30-day period, folks who are eligible to resubmit will only be able to resubmit one time, and they will not be able to uh, revise or adjust what they have submitted after they hit submit. Uh, there had been and has been a lot of confusion about what types of materials would be required to uh, satisfy the demands of the resubmission process, but the cannabis program held a meeting on Friday, uh, and at that meeting, they released a revised checklist for the portal that provided more information on the types of documentation, the types of explanations, uh, that are being requested on some of the items that were particularly confusing to folks. And so all of that, the new checklist, the new information is available on the county website uh, at, on the CEQA page. And I would recommend that anyone who's getting ready to enter the portal, check out that documentation. And if you have any questions at all about it, you know, now is the time to reach out to the cannabis department and you know, reach out to me at MCA. And if there are concerns, uh, you know, we wanna make sure that people have the best setup for success. And we haven't seen a lot of clarity in these requests thus far. And so you know, I, I believe that the intention in putting out this new checklist was to provide some of that clarity and hoping for feedback from the community to find out if it actually has, or if there's more additional information that's needed. And so, you know, the portal is, uh, there are people who have been kept out of resubmitting through the portal that had been entered into it from the beginning. Um, there, that issue that has come up with vegetation modification letters. Uh, some folks may have heard about that. So about 35 operators received letters to this point that we know of, could be more and more certainly coming from what we understand, uh, that request uh, a ton of information, none of which is uh, specifically required in the ordinance uh, to prove, to disprove that vegetation modification has happened. So folks are not actually specifically being accused of having committed vegetation modification. They're being made aware of concerns, in quotes, uh, that the department has and is asking for a response. And if the response that they want is not provided, uh, in was not provided within the 15-day window that they gave, they indicated that folks would be potentially removed from the program. Uh, and so the issue there is that right now, you know, folks responded. Some folks 
responded saying, we can't get the information that you've asked for in the time period you've asked for. Can we have an extension? Uh, there was no, you know, there hasn't been responses to folks on those questions. Uh, I'm not fully aware if the denials have started going out yet based on these letters, but the indication from the department was that they're still evaluating them. So it was, you know, it's really interesting to see uh, this uh, need and this demand for a 15 day response to a letter when the department isn't even fully sure how they're going to be managing it or dealing with this process. So there have been a lot of concerns about this, a lot of talk about legal action and to, you know, we're hoping that the county does the right thing and, uh, you know, ceases that program and works with applicants to maintain and achieve compliance as opposed to this, you know, draconian removal process. Um, but, and I only bring that up in relationship to the portal because, you know, there are folks who are planning to go through who now can't because of this uh, new program. And, you know, there are bigger picture concerns around this program for folks uh, throughout the department who are in the permitting uh, process, who have their permits, and some who are still have their embossed receipts. But this is something that could continue to pop up. And so we want to address it before it becomes a problem. Thank you, Michael. Yes, that sounds very intense. And I really feel for cultivators that are dealing with that vegetation removal issue. Um, terrifying, honestly. So moving on to my next question here, could you briefly explain the grant programs that are going on? So we have the equity grant, and then we also have the direct grant. And my question is, could you just define the differences between them if possible? And also, can applicants apply for both if they qualify for both programs? Sure. Great questions. Uh, and so, yeah, there are two different programs. We have the equity program, which is the one that folks are probably more familiar with because it's been going on for some time. Uh, that is specifically for people who have been disproportionately harmed by the war on drugs. And that is coming from state funds that are allocated to be distributed to individuals who have suffered that harm. And those funds can be used for any number of things. Uh, when those counties set up the program initially, there were a lot of restrictions on uh, income thresholds for applicants and for what those funds could be used for. But it, over time, it was seen and uh, that the program was not operating efficiently, was not providing funds to people and was not really a useful program. And so revisions were made. And now, you know, the, the, the board has directed for the most expansive version of the program to be implemented. So basically anything that is allowed at the state level would be allowed at the Mendocino level. And we're still working to, to implement that direction uh, with the cannabis department. And then uh, the other grant program is not yet available for application. It's called the Local Jurisdiction Assistance Grant Program. And it is uh, money from the state designed to support the transition of uh, of permit holders that are uh, provisional licensees uh, get to their state annual licenses. And there's a lot of environmental reporting and CEQA work that has to happen around those areas. And so that's kind of where these funds are being focused, uh, where they're intended to be focused on the, on the operator side. So of the 
local jurisdiction assistance grant program, a portion of those funds are going to direct grants for operators, and a portion of those funds are going to the department for administration. So hiring, uh, they've indicated they'll be hiring full-time staff, they'll be hiring consultants, they'll be doing office renovations, they'll be getting new equipment and building out the department to uh, more efficiently process and manage the applications and uh, responsibilities of the department in transitioning folks. Now, it looks like a lot of those things are not specifically geared towards the goal of annual uh, licensure, and a lot of them seem like just in, you know, building up the capabilities of the department. But as, as I mentioned earlier, at this time, the what has been applied for is what is currently being distributed. And unless the board uh, chooses to get involved in making more revisions, that's probably going to stay the way that it is. Those applications uh, would be theoretically becoming available according to the department sometime between, uh, sometime in July at the earliest is what was said. And so uh, it may not be until the summer or fall really where folks might be able to start applying for these funds, which is very disappointing because I believe that they have been made available to the county already. And if not, they'll be here shortly. And so, you know, we'll have millions and millions of dollars that could be going to help applicants sitting somewhere uh, while uh, the folks need the help. So we, we'd like to see those funds distributed more quickly uh, to operators uh, because they need them right away. And so those are the two grant programs that we are aware of at the moment. Um, but you know, that's certainly possible that there are more. One additional grant program that hasn't really been implemented uh, effectively yet is the CDFW restoration grants. Um, but I can assure you that those grants, which are right now, they can be only given to uh, nonprofits, governmental agencies, or uh, tribes. Um, and when I say nonprofit, that's like a 501 nonprofit. MCA, for example, is a mutual benefit corporation, not for profit. So it, we don't uh, we don't line up with that requirement. So we couldn't receive those funds and then work with grantees to get them. But we are working on a way to do that uh, for environmental remediation. So hopefully we'll have some good news about that in the coming months and there will be an additional uh, source of grant funding for environmental remediation. Great, thank you so much for explaining that so clearly, Michael. I have one quick question there. So back in the beginning of the equity grant program when it first opened up, I was under the impression that applicants could only apply for projects that would have some sort of environmental benefit or would mitigate environmental impact on their property, um, like work on water systems and roads and things like that. Is that no longer a restriction to the application funding or was it ever one? Yeah, it, it certainly was. There were a lot of restrictions initially, and the direct grant amount was initially set at $10,000 per applicant, and those funds could only be used for those very limited purposes. So since then, um, you know, at one point during the summer, and then again in October 5th, and then again just recently, the board has agreed to revise the program substantially. So, it, you know, revisions initially included people being able to pay for consultants, like, you know, even bookkeepers and uh, CEQA consultants or environmental consultants, uh, and opened up a, a whole host of opportunities for what these funds could be used for. People are using them for solar arrays, um, you know, and now the board has directed 
to expand the program even further uh, to basically allow anything that is not explicitly prohibited by the state. And so we're actively working with county council and the cannabis department and the ad hoc to identify what those availabilities are specifically related to taxes, because um, there's been a lot of concerns that folks who are receiving grant funds were not allowed to use those grant funds to pay for any taxes that would be incurred by receiving them, which is uh, very confusing. Uh, but so now that has been uh, directed by the board that that should be incorporated. And so we are working to get that updated, not just for new equity applicants, but also for, <clears throat> for the folks who are already in line and who have already been in the process, we want them to be able to access those new revisions as soon as they're made. And uh, we are under the impression that that will be made possible. Uh, it's definitely been the direction of the board and the ad hoc and the cannabis department is looking into uh, how to set that up. So we hope to see that. And on the, the amount of funding, just to, to let everybody know, you know, the equity funds thus far, uh, we've received about $3 million, 10% of which is going to be going to administration. Um, but we just received uh, approval of an additional $2.9 million uh, for the next calendar year. So right now there's about $3 million uh, that will want to be distributed by August of this year. And then after that, there will be an additional $2.9 million to be distributed. Great, Michael. Thank you for clarifying that. So if you're just tuning in, this is the Cannabis Hour. I'm your host, Jen Procacci, and I am here today with the esteemed Michael Katz of Mendocino Cannabis Alliance. He just gave us a great thorough update on what's going on on a local level with cannabis policy. And now, uh, Michael, if you're ready for that, we will move along to the state portion of today's policy update. Great. So yeah, I just want to talk about a couple of the bills that uh, have been introduced uh, at the state level from our local representatives, Senator McGuire and Assemblymember Wood. Uh, we are so grateful to both of them for understanding the conditions that the cannabis industry is in and working to create legislation that acknowledges the political realities on the ground while forwarding our needs. And so uh, we have some really dynamic legislation to talk about. The first one is SB 1094, which is a tax reform bill that was put forward by uh, Senator McGuire with a co-author, uh, Assemblymember Wood. And what this will do is it would, uh, you know, relating to the cultivation tax, it would discontinue the cultivation tax on July 1st of 2022, and then increase from July 1st, 2025 until July 1st, 2026, the excise tax by an additional percentage that the Department of Finance estimates will generate half of the amount of revenue that would have been collected pursuant to the cultivation tax. And then on July 1st, 2026, increase the excise tax to retain that full amount. Uh, and this is set up in this particular way because there are a lot of political considerations on the ground right now as far as where the cannabis tax money goes. And the realities are that uh, cultivation tax funding is earmarked for uh, you know, programs for children, uh, programs for labor. There are environmental programs that are being funded by it. 
And so there are a lot of groups within the state who are really invested in making sure that the funding source does not disappear. And there are many things that we as a community would support funding not disappearing for at the same time as acknowledging that the specifics of the cultivation tax are so onerous that it needs to be removed because it is the death knell of an entire part of the supply chain. And so this bill has been crafted in a way to address the needs of multiple stakeholders. And like many bills, it's not perfect, but it provides the protection that our community needs while addressing the concerns of other groups. And I think that that's important. It's important to note that there are six different cannabis tax bills floating around right now. And so, you know, understanding the political landscape, we're grateful to uh, Senator McGuire and Assemblymember Wood for putting this together and, and getting the, the cultivation tax dealt with in this way. And so we, Origins Council is actively working with those offices on supporting and promoting this bill. And, you know, we certainly encourage all of our community members to look into it and to provide some support. The, the second bill is uh, very exciting. It is a direct sales bill that was introduced by Assemblymember Wood, uh, co-author Senator McGuire, and additional co-authors, Assemblymembers Revis and Stone, and Senator Laird. And so what this will do is it will enable uh, the DCC to issue temporary cultivator event retail licenses that would authorize license holders to sell cannabis or cannabis products at cannabis events. Uh, it would authorize a licensee who can, who is a cultivation licensee to provide direct sales to consumers, which has been such an important part of our small farming and producer community for so long that was taken away through Prop 64 and the regulations for events to this point have not provided that level of uh, connection that is so important for our small farmers. And so this bill, it does limit initially the number of event license opportunities that each cultivator would have to 12 per year. Um, but again, remember that this bill is, like all bills, uh, a compromise in a way. Uh, there has been a lot of pushback from direct sales for cultivators from retail uh, historically, and especially in Southern California. And so there are you know, political considerations around this, but due to the massive uh, crash of the market and the existential crisis facing small farmers, it's really essential that they be able to retain the full value of their product. And right now with distributors and retailers between cultivators and their consumers, that's nearly impossible. And so, you know, this bill is a lifeline that will enable people to receive what their product is worth, and that will facilitate more uh, financial stability, which is desperately needed at this time. So that's AB 2691. And we recommend that folks, you know, if you want to see this tax reform, and if you want to see these direct sales opportunities, we recommend emailing your supervisor, uh, your district supervisor here in Mendocino, and letting them know that they should be uh, providing letters in support of these bills uh, to M Senator McGuire and Assembly Members Woods offices. And if anyone has any questions about that, they can email me and I can point them in the right direction. 
Yes, I'm so excited about the direct sales bill. And I just want to make sure that we um, clarify for our listeners why this would be such a game changer for our small farmers and why it's so important to support this bill, even if you're not a regulated cannabis farmer, if you care about regulated cannabis farmers in Mendocino County, if they're your friends or your family or your community members, we really need this bill to go through. Um, Michael, can you describe for our listeners what it's like currently for farmers trying to sell at an event without this bill? Sure. So yeah, the the requirements are are now all sales at events have to go through a, a licensed retailer. And there are obviously to become a licensed retailer, there are a whole bevy of regulatory requirements, costs, building, uh, security, reporting. Uh, and so it's just, a, it's just a very onerous and expensive process. And so in order for small farms to sell product at events now, they are required to team up with uh, a retailer. And, you know, the retailer really has the control over how that process goes. Uh, farmers are limited from uh, displaying their own product. It can, the product can only technically be displayed at a retail booth. So, you know, if an event is set up in such a way that uh, the organizers are not fully aware of the, the, or the requirements and the regulations that farmers who are trying to sell product, you know, may have to show empty jars and then direct a potential consumer to another retail booth that is in a different area than their booth. So there's a lot of loss of that immediacy in the current system, and it really just uh, handicaps the small operators from not just getting their product sold because someone's interested and then they walk away, they can you know lose their train of thought and get derailed by a million different outside stimuli. But it also provides them the opportunity in this with this bill to receive the full value of their product. So at a traditional retail situation, uh, what the consumer is paying after you take taxes out, which is there's a lot of taxes, the producer is only receiving maybe somewhere between 40 and 50% of the after-tax price. And that's just not a sustainable uh, method at this time for people to maintain a living wage. Um, And so that actually kind of segues nicely into what I know we're going to speak about uh, for the last part of the show, which is the MCA direct to consumer program that we are running, which actually is providing a much, much higher return to our local operators. Yes, let's roll right into that and talk about the direct to consumer program, because it's the little ray of sunshine that we have for this show today. So yeah, go for it, Michael, take it away. Yeah, so we're really excited to have just launched in Sacramento, a new delivery service called Mendocino Cannabis.shop. And this is a a collaborative product of months and months of work among MCA's members uh, uh, and licensees outside of the cultivation space. Um, You know, we addressed Uh, We've addressed as an organization primarily policy advocacy uh, because of the need on the ground. But this summer with the market crashing, we discussed the need to really support our members on the market access side as well. And to do that, 
as we had these conversations and knew that people had packaged product and we know that direct to consumer is the best way to capture value. Uh, we were so fortunate to have a group of MCA members uh, led by retailer Brandy Moulton of Sovereign uh, and distributors Nick Smilgies of Mendocino Cannabis Distribution, Nat Buttrick of Madrone, and Jim Roberts of The Bohemian Chemist. And working together with uh, uh, the, a committee of MCA leadership, we created this direct-to-consumer program that thanks to Brandy's Retail, that's already established as a delivery service in Sacramento, we're able to provide this platform to sell our member products direct to consumers. And thanks to Brandy's graciousness and generosity, she is only retaining 10% of the after-tax price to consumers. So the producers will be receiving 90% of the pre-tax price of their products, which is basically unheard of in the retail environment in California, maybe anywhere else today. Uh, and it's really a product of the care and consideration that the our community has for each other, where people who have put in these major investments into licensure for their businesses, seeing the plight of the community are choosing to come together, collaborate, donate that infrastructure, and create a pathway to provide a living wage for our community. And I'm just so grateful, and I know that uh, it's a really exciting opportunity, and we have the, a great group of 20 MCA members uh, who are participating. Uh, Jen, your farm is an incredible member that is participating, and we're so glad to have Wildland products available. And there's 19 other incredible farms. I recommend everybody check out the website, mendocinocannabis.shop. That's also our Instagram, mendocinocannabis.shop. We really recommend everybody to follow those, uh, those accounts, to check out the website. If you know anyone in Sacramento area, if you know anyone who's visiting the Sacramento area, this is really an opportunity to purchase cannabis that aligns with people's community values. And it's some of the best cannabis in the world from Mendocino County and the Emerald Triangle. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but we really want to get the word out that now there really is an option for people to purchase cannabis based on their values. And that has been something that has been missing in this industry. And we are really proud to bring it to the table. You know, our, we have a billboard in Sacramento that says cannabis with a conscience. And that's really what we're about. This is a community effort. There's so much love and care built into it. And we you know, plan to expand it throughout this year and beyond. But this is an important first step in our community taking our own retail destiny into our hands and really hitting the streets and going direct to the consumer. So we encourage folks, this is a program that's exclusively available to MCA members. We're starting with this cohort of 20, and then as things progress, we are planning to expand. Uh, and so, you know, get involved with MCA now, start participating, and then as we're ready to build out into more uh, brands and products in Sacramento and into other regions, uh, we'll all be able to move forward together. Thank you, Michael. Yes, it is a wonderful project, and I am so excited to be a part of it. And I hope this just really drives the point home for our um, listeners who may not be directly involved in the regulated cannabis world, uh, the hoops that we have to jump through and the elaborate things we have to come up with to kind of get our cannabis sort of directly from farmers to consumers. I mean, 
when we're at these events, when you're at an event um, as a farmer and you're trying to sell your cannabis, to not even be able to hold your own cannabis and show it to um, interested customers is insane. And it's also very, it's a, it's not a good feeling as the farmer, um, as you can imagine. And the process of, of folks coming to shop at your booth, and then maybe you show them an empty jar, as you can imagine, it's not very easy to make a sale. And then, um, you know, let's say those people are interested in supporting you and buying your product. They may have to walk for 10 minutes across an event venue to get to the retail booth to purchase your cannabis with a little slip of paper or whatever. And like Michael said, the myriad of distractions along the way, I, we estimated at a recent event, we probably lost 50% of the sales in transit just from people walking from, from our booth to the um, retail fulfillment center at a venue. So the direct to consumer project is such a game changer for people in Mendocino County that are able to participate in it. And it's just another reason why we all need to support MCA. Um, when I got the email about the direct to consumer project, I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, MCA doing it again, like giving us this little ray of hope in this incredibly dark environment right now. So Michael, I just want to thank you for all your work on that project, because I'm sure that it has been very intense and multifaceted. Um, I can't imagine all the hours that have gone into figuring out how something like that is going to work. And I'm so excited. I think it's going to be a huge success. So thank you for that. And also thank you so much for taking the time to join the show today. Is there any last information you want to gift to our listeners before we depart for the day? Uh, well, you know, I just want to thank you for again for having me, Jen. This is it's always great to come on and chat with you about what's going on. And yeah, this is just a really pivotal time for our community. I feel like I probably say that every time I come on this show because it's kind of never not a pivotal time for our community. But as you say, we have this ray of hope with the direct to consumer program. I feel like we are making progress working with the ad hoc on some of these really key existential issues. Grateful to Supervisor Haschek for his continued support. Grateful to Supervisor McGordy for really putting effort into evaluating these issues and, and working to come up with solutions and just really hoping to see some more positive change uh, in the forefront. Um, but it's important that we do all come together and we put our voices together and we continue to increase our strength and our impact locally because we still are not out of the woods, so to speak. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. And the, the stronger we can show our unity, the more likely we are to be able to get those changes made. So everyone, please join MCA if you're uh, a cannabis operator or if you're interested in becoming one or if you want to see them survive. Uh, any of those reasons are excellent reasons to join MCA. And uh, we're at MendoCannabis.com. That's MendoCannabis.com. Thanks so much. Right on, Michael. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our hour here today. So I just want to thank everyone for tuning in. I'll be back two weeks from today with another episode for you. And until then, have a beautiful day. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.